0: I might go a little fast or so speak rather rapidly. I just want you to pay close attention to me and, and just look at the screen so that you could, so you could follow along on what I'm talking to you. And uh, if you are not familiar with quotations from Scripture, I will be quoting from the Bible uh, different verses. And when I mention name and chapter and verse, it just means it's referring to a particular portion in Scripture. And uh, just do that uh, so that you will know that I'm actually quoting from the Bible. The Bible is an inspired book. It's a book that was written through men who were inspired by God. Holy men of God, prophets of God, wrote as they were moved or inspired by the Holy Spirit. And in the Bible, there are about 10,385 prophecies or foretelling of events. And a large number of these There are about 10,385 predictions of prophecy, and each of them, many of them, have already been fulfilled. And uh, the ones that remain to be fulfilled, I want to submit to you this morning that they are very, very likely. Especially the, the accuracy of the biblical prophecy is unquestionable. And so as we begin talking about the signs of the times, I first of all want to present to us, or authenticate to us, the accuracy and the dependability of biblical prophecy. I want to talk first of all about fulfilled prophecy. Some examples out of these 10,385 prophecies, some examples of prophecies in the Bible which have been fulfilled historically in world events. Here are some of them that you can just listen to. Long, long time ago, a couple of thousands of years ago, God spoke to a man in Abraham and told him that He would establish him and his descendants as a nation, which we know as the nation of Israel. And along with the prophecy of the introduction to that, God told Abraham in the 15th chapter of Genesis verses 13 and 14, that his descendants would be in slavery for 400 years. God said, no, certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them for about 400 years. And they will serve a nation and afterward that I will bring them out with great possession." And uh, we know historically that Israel or, or the people of Israel were in captivity for 400 years in Egypt. And sure enough, at the end of those 400 years, they came out with great possession, plundering Egypt and going into the land of Canaan. Several years later, God spoke through Jeremiah the prophet and he foretold what, was what we know as Babylonian captivity. Saying that Israel will be in captivity for 70 years by the Babylonians. Jeremiah foretold us, he said in Jeremiah 25, 11, this whole land will be a desolation and astonishment and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And once again in chapter 29 and verse 10, Jeremiah says, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word to a Jew and cause you to return to this place. Looking back in history, that's exactly what happened. Israel. Nebuchadnezzar was a Babylonian king who came in, plundered Israel, took them into captivity for seventy years. They served in captivity, and exactly at the end of the seventy years, the Jewish people were released to go back to their own land. Cyrus of Persia, the king of Persia, was instrumental. or Was the one who commanded the return of the people of Israel back to their own land. What's astounding is this: 150 years before Cyrus was even born. Isaiah the prophet gave the name and declared what Cyrus would do. In Isaiah the 44th chapter, verse 28, Isaiah prophesied who said that God says of Cyrus, He is my shepherd and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, You shall be built and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. This was 150 years before Cyrus was born. And sure enough, after the Babylonian empire came into power, Cyrus, the king of Persia, came on the scene. He overthrew the Babylonians, conquered them. And in his first year of reign, he issued a decree saying, all you Jewish people, go back to Jerusalem, rebuild your city, rebuild your walls, rebuild your temple, and live peacefully. Astounding, the accuracy of biblical prophecy. Another amazing prophecy is this of Daniel. He prophesied that there will be 483 years that will elapse from the time Cyrus issues the decree for the Jewish people to return to Jerusalem, Four hundred thirty-eighty-three years and then the Messiah will be crucified. In Daniel chapter 9 verses 25 and 26, he prophesies, he says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, which was what King Cyrus did, Until Messiah the Prince, that is Jesus, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, totaling 69 weeks, representing seven years each, a total of 483 years. That the street will be built again, Jerusalem restored, the wall, and even in troublesome times. After the 62 weeks, totaling of 69 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off, will be crucified. And to the year, 483 years elapsed, from the time Cyrus issued the decree for the, Jewish, the Jews to return to Jerusalem, when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem and was crucified. Accurate biblical prophecy. There are several prophecies concerning the coming of Christ and what would happen in his life. And I just want to just run through a few of them here, just to let you know how accurate and how dependable Bible prophecy is. The Bible tells us that he, was, he would be the seed of a woman, He would come to the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He would be a descendant of Judah. He would be born in Bethlehem. He would be born of a virgin. He would be in Egypt for some time. He would grow up in Nazareth and be called a Nazarene. He would be betrayed by his closest friend. He would be crucified. He would suffer no broken bones at his crucifixion. He would observe men casting lots for his clothing. And he would live again. And each one of these have been fulfilled to the detail. Jesus himself prophesied about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in Jerusalem. In Matthew 24 and verse 2, Jesus said, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly I say to you, Not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. 70 years after Jesus said that, Titus, who was the Roman general, came into Jerusalem, completely ruined that city, threw down the entire city where a million Jews ran for their lives. He destroyed the temple thus fulfilling what Jesus foretold. So what I want to submit to us this morning as we begin to look at Bible prophecy concerning end times, first of all, is simply this. That the Bible is absolutely accurate when it comes to prophecy. To the day, to the year, Bible prophecy is being fulfilled. It's dependable. It's accurate. It's reliable. The question I want to put forward to us this morning as we move into talking about the signs of the times is this. Are you and I the end time generation? Are we living in the last days, as the Bible calls it, or the latter days? Are we that end time generation? Here's what Jesus said. He said in Luke twelve thirty two that this generation will not pass away till everything is fulfilled. Meaning to say that in one generation, all the end time prophecies concerning the end of this present age will take place. In one generation, I want to submit to you and me this morning that you and I could very well be that one last generation will see the fulfillment of every end time prophecy. There are about 500 prophecies making it, fulfilled prophecies making it clear that the return of the Lord Jesus is near. And I just want to highlight some Of these end time prophecies which have been fulfilled in our time. And which are being fulfilled right before our very eyes. Here are some of them. The most notable of these, the disciples of Jesus asked him in Matthew 24 verse 3, they said, Lord, tell us when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and at the end of the age? So the disciples asked him, tell us what will be the signs of the end of the age? And Jesus went on to narrate several signs. I'm just listing some of them from the Old and the New Testament. The most notable of these signs, which have been fulfilled in our generation, right before our very eyes, is Israel being formed as a nation. God spoke to Abraham many thousand years ago and said Abraham I'm going to make you into a big nation and this is the land that I'm going to give to you. In the 15th chapter of Genesis God defined the boundaries of the nation of Israel. It's there for us but unfortunately from the time of King David all the way through the Hitler's ovens in 1945 the Jewish people have suffered immense persecution. They've been scattered abroad. Their blood has been spilled all across Europe and other parts of the world. Jerusalem itself has experienced 46 sieges, 32 partial destructions, has been burned to the ground five times and has seen four wars in the last 25 years. But then God did make a promise. He said, I will reestablish you in your own land. In Jeremiah 31 and verse 10, Jeremiah prophesied, hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the isles afar off. He who scattered Israel will gather them, and he will keep them as a shepherd, does his flock. In the 37th chapter of Ezekiel, Ezekiel talking about the valley of dry bones, and talking about how the bones will come together. He gives to us a picture of the regathering of Israel as a nation. And Ezekiel prophesies in the 37th chapter, verse 12, he says, Thus says the Lord God, Behold my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. In verse 21, he says, Thus says the Lord, I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, wherever they have gone, and will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. And verse 22, I will make them one nation in the land on the mountain's of Israel. 1948. Israel. Became. A nation. The Jewish people. Regathered in their own homeland. And said this is. Our land. The nation of Israel was born. Fulfilling. What Jeremiah. And Ezekiel prophesied. Several hundreds of years ago. And from the time. That Israel. Was established as a nation. In 1948. Until 1967. They still did not have control. Over the city of Jerusalem the city of jerusalem was divided and uh, it was part of the city was fenced off and it did not belong to the jews but then this is what jesus prophesied in luke 21 and 24 he said this in luke 21 24 and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations talking about his people and jerusalem will be trampled by gentiles until the times of the gentiles are fulfilled So Jesus said, look, Jerusalem is going to be under the control of the Gentile world until their time runs out. What do we see? In 1967, after a six-day war, the Jews took control of Jerusalem for the first time in 2,000 years. In that six-day war between Israel and all the neighboring armies, Egypt, Jordan, Syria, the Arab states of Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Sudan, Tunisia, Morocco, Algeria joined together fighting against a tiny nation of Israel. It was a supernatural victory for a tiny nation of Israel to overpower so many of the Arab allies. And yet in that six-day war, they were able to regain control of Jerusalem. The times of the Gentiles had been fulfilled. But what did Jesus say? He continued in his prophecy in Matthew 24, verses 30 to 34. He said, learn this parable of the fig tree, symbolizing Israel. He said this, when the branches become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. "Assuredly, I say to you, this generation, the generation that sees the fig tree blossoming, will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Most of us have been around since 1967. We are that generation. We've seen the blossoming of that victory. I want to submit to you, we could very well be that final generation. Some more prophecies concerning the end times which have been fulfilled and which are being fulfilled right before our very eyes. Daniel prophesied about a knowledge explosion and great increase in travel. In Daniel 12 verse 4 he says, But you Daniel shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end many will run to and fro and knowledge will increase increased travel abundance of information being fulfilled third there will be global political economic and uh, the global political economic and social conditions have been spoken of jesus talked about increase in wars and rumors of wars in luke 21 9 and 10 he said when you hear of wars and commotions do not be terrified For these things must come to pass first And thereafter the end comes. He said nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. He also talked about distress of nations and people's hearts failing for fear. In Luke 21, 25 and 26 he says that on the earth there will be distress of nations with perplexity. Men's hearts failing them from fear. I can't help but think about what we've seen in recent times. The the global economic meltdown. The distress of nations. It's not just affecting one nation here or another nation there. Nations are in distress and perplexed. Jesus also talked about weather and geophysical conditions. He talked about increasing famines, earthquakes, and pestilences. In Luke 21:11, he said there'll be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences. I can't help but think about. The recent swine flu, a pandemic, not just something happening in a local region, a localized region somewhere, but something that's affecting the globe. Part of what Jesus said would happen. He talked about the sun, the moon, the stars, the seas and waves rising. In Luke 21, verse 25, he talked about that there will be signs of the sun on the earth, distress and the seas and the waves roaring. Can't help but think of the tsunami that hit several nations not too long ago jesus also talked about the moral condition of man he said there will be increase in sin and ungodliness in matthew twenty four twelve, jesus said lawlessness will abound there'll be so much lawlessness as never experienced before and the love of many will grow cold he said he also said that the days of the end times would be as in the days of noah looking back in the days of noah you see it was highlighted by drunkenness and Illicit sex and corruption and violence. And these are the very things taking place in our day, in our time. Two more signs that are being fulfilled right before our very eyes. Global spiritualism and false spirituality. Jesus talked about false Christs and false prophets. He said, you know, many will come. Matthew 24 verse 5. Many will come in my name saying, I am Christ and will deceive many. And he says, there will be people who say, you know, look, here is Christ. I'm there. Do not believe it. Matthew 24, verse 23. Then he says in verse 24, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders, and if possible, deceive the elect. He says, that. listen, I've told you beforehand. We, we are seeing this in an unprecedented manner in our day in our time. There will also be an increase in cults and false religions. And the Bible talks about that in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. And lastly, there is a sign of the church. Jesus said, Here's one of the signs that will take place at the end, of the end of time. He said in Matthew 24, he said, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a witness in all the world and all nations. And then the end will come. And never before in the history of mankind has the gospel being proclaimed almost in every nation of this world. Through television and all kinds of media. Through people traveling and preaching. This gospel is being proclaimed in every nation of this world. We are not that generation. He also talked about increased persecution for the church. In Luke 21, 12 and 13, he says, They will lay hands on you and persecute you and bring you before kings and rulers for my name's sake. The increased persecution you and I are seeing is part of the signs of the end times being fulfilled. Now, I want to take us into the future. What are the prophecies, Bible prophecies, concerning coming world events? Things that are still ahead of us. What does the Bible say concerning things to come? I just want to present to you a view of these events that will happen shortly. The most important thing that you and I must keep in mind is simply this. That Jesus Christ is coming back. The angel said in Acts 1 verse 11. as, As the disciples of Jesus were looking at him going up into heaven. They said you men of Galilee. Why are you looking like this staring into heaven? This same Jesus Will come back in the same way you've seen him go. Jesus is coming back. And all of history is moving towards that amazing moment in time. When Jesus Christ comes back to this world. His return, the Bible teaches us, will be in two stages. First we call, his return will be, the phase one of his return will be the rapture. A term that, that we use. The rapture. Followed by, and after a seven year gap. There will be the revelation when he will come and establish his kingdom here on earth. What is the rapture? The Bible talks about the rapture as an event where in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 16 to 17. That the Lord Jesus himself will descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God and the dead who have believed in Christ. They will rise first and those of us who are alive. And remain. will be caught up together. We'll meet him in the air. And he will take us to be with him in heaven. Thus we'll always be with the Lord. Jesus will come to meet his, his people mid-air. He will not set foot on the earth. We call that event. The rapture. And it's going to happen in a moment. Even before you realize it. First Corinthians 15.52 says. In a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound. And the dead will rise. And we shall all be changed. Just imagine, there will be no churches, no pastors, no preachers, no counselors. They're all gone. The word rapture does not appear in the Bible, but it comes from Latin words which simply means to be snatched away. And so the rapture is simply a great snatch. Christ comes, he takes his people back with him into heaven. And the Bible tells us this, that Jesus will come like a thief in the night. No one knows the day, the hour, or the moment. It could happen any time. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 and 2, he says, concerning the times and seasons, Brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night. When we are least expecting, Jesus will show up. And with the rapture, the church age comes to an end. What happens? During that seven year period when the saints are with Jesus in heaven, two important things happen in heaven. First, the Bible calls it the judgment seat of Christ. Where each one of us believers, who people who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, whether we have dead and be resurrected or we are alive, we will stand before Jesus. And the Bible says our works will be tried with fire. You find this in 2 Corinthians 5 and in Romans 14 and also in 1 Corinthians 3. And we will give an account of the works that we have done and we will receive rewards proportionate to what we have done for the kingdom of God. That's the judgment seat of Christ for every believer. Following this, towards the end of the seven-year period, will be the marriage of the Lamb. We read about this in the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation. When Jesus will be joined and have a great feast together with all of His saints. And during those seven years, when the saints are rejoicing in heaven with Jesus, the Bible tells us that here on earth will be seven great years of tribulation. Seven years, 84 months 2,520 days of horror, pain, and suffering here on earth. Here are the key events the Bible predicts or foretells concerning the tribulation. During the seven-year period called the Great Tribulation, at the beginning of this period, the world will see the rise of a leader. The Bible calls him the Antichrist or the beast. And he will come from a confederacy of ten Western nations, and each of these nations belonged in some way, were, par- were part of the Roman Empire. In Daniel, the seventh chapter, 24th verse, the Bible says, Ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. So, the Bible is saying there's going to be this prominent, powerful world leader rising up from this ten nation confederacy. And he will arise, he will subdue three others, and he will come into power. And this world leader whom the Bible calls as the Antichrist or the beast, the next thing he does is this, he establishes a peace program. He signs a seven-year peace treaty with the nation of Israel. In Daniel 9 and verse 27, he says, Then he shall confirm a covenant, a treaty. With many for one week. A global peace program centered around the nation of Israel. For one week meaning seven years. He will rise into power during this time. He will be renowned, respected all around the world. And also during this time. A third temple will be rebuilt in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. This temple will be established on the same. Most likely on the same place where The first two temples existed and were broken down, as we said, in A.D. 70. The Old Testament style of temple worship will be reinstituted along with Jewish attendance and the sacrifices in place. It is very likely that because of the peace program brought in by this one world leader, the Antichrist, this will become possible. Now, after 42 months or after three and a half years, the Antichrist will break the peace treaty. In Daniel 9, and verse 27, it says, Then he will confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, in the middle of the seven years, he will bring an end to sacrifice and offering. He will cause this worship to cease. He will go into the temple, the Bible says in Second Thessalonians 2, 4, Declare himself to be the one to be worshipped and revered by the Jews. He will set up what the Bible calls as an image of the beast, which most likely could be a technological invention of that time. He will set it up in the temple, the image of the beast that has all information of all peoples of the world, which would speak great things, would be astounding in the information it is able to deliver. We read about this in Daniel 12 and verse 11. And he will attempt to destroy the Jewish people worse than what Hitler ever attempted to do in Revelation 13 and verse 7. Another important thing that this global world leader will do at that time is this. He will introduce a new identity number, which he will require every person to subscribe to. And he will establish that as the primary way, possibly the only way to conduct business. Revelation 13 verses 16 to 18 says, He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the name of the beast. Or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man. His number is 666. The last three and a half years of the seven year tribulation period will be the worst. Because it will experience 21 deadly judgments that God will allow here on earth. They, They will come in sets of three. Seven Seven and seven. Seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bold judgments released on the earth. You Read about this in Revelation chapter 6, 8, 9, 15, and 16. The Bible calls this at the time of Jacob's trouble. There are several other details that I'm not going into here concerning this tribulation period. Now what else will happen? A fourth major event during this tribulation period is this. That Russia will gather several allies and invade Israel this will Israel will be in a state of peace because of of the false peace program that the Antichrist has promised to them they will be lax in their own security and so Russia will take advantage of this and invade Israel as if we read about this in the 30th chapter of the book of Ezekiel and also in Daniel 11 here's what Ezekiel said in Ezekiel 38 he said now the word of the Lord came to me saying son of man set your face against Gog of the land of Magog the prince prince of Ross Meshach and Tubal and prophesy against him. Verse 10. Thus says the Lord God, On that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind and you will make an evil plan. Verse 11. You will say, I will go against up against a land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely. All of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. To take plunder and take booty. To stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited and against the people gathered from the nations, meaning Israel, who have acquired livestock and goods, who dwell in the midst of the land. So what is this land of Gog and Magog? Magog are the original de- the descendants found in modern Russia. Tubal, Tobolsk is the name of people located south of Siberia. Meshach is the original name for Moscow and Rosh, it's a name of the tribe dwelling in the area of Volga and is a word for Russia. Now Russia will gather together its allies from Persia. That will include Iran and Iraq, Ethiopia, Libya, East Germany and Slovakia, Turkey and Egypt. All these nations will join with Russia and attack, come against, invade this tiny nation of Israel. The amazing thing is this, the Bible says that God himself will intervene on the behalf of Israel and Israel will deal a humiliating blow to Russia and all of its allies. Russia will be driven back to Siberia according to Ezekiel 39 and Joel 2. But Russia will go there to recoup, to regain its forces and come back on the offensive over and over again until it will begin to collect all the nations of this world to join in its agenda of coming against this tiny nation of Israel. All of this will lead to a climax leading in to the battle of Armageddon. You read about it in Zechariah the 14th chapter and in the 16th and 19th chapters of the book of Revelation. The Bible talks about the battle of Armageddon. When all the nations of this world have been gathered together to go up against a tiny nation, Called Israel. As they are lining up to go against Israel. The Bible says suddenly. Jesus will himself come. The clouds will split. And Jesus will come with the armies of heaven. And with his thousands upon ten thousands of saints. And he will come in and set his foot upon Mount Zion. Zechariah the 14th chapter. The mountain will split into two. And by the word of his mouth. He will destroy all of the armies. That have lined up against Israel. The Bible says that this will be the bloodiest and the largest battle in the history known to man. The river of blood will flow for 200 miles. And the images that the Bible draws about this battle could be nothing short of an atomic nuclear war breaking out in the Middle East. But Jesus will triumph. At the end of the battle of Armageddon, that signals the end of the tribulation period. The Antichrist, the false prophet, will be cast into the lake of fire. And all those who worked with him. And Jesus will establish his own government. Making Jerusalem his capital. And he will establish a thousand year reign of peace. We call it the millennium. For a thousand years. This world will be inhabited. Children will be born. People will labor and work. And, and carry on activity here on earth. All in a state of peace. The Bible says that Satan will be bound during this year, thousand year period. There will be no demonic spirits affecting the world. It will be very much similar to what God intended in the garden before the fall. With Christ ruling the earth from Jerusalem. At the end of this thousand year period. And I'm not going into the details of the millennium. At the end of the thousand year period. Satan will be loose or released for a brief moment. Given his last and final opportunity to do whatever he wants to do against people. Mankind and against Jesus. But at the end of that temporary period, Jesus himself will destroy or will take Satan and, and all of his demonic forces and put them permanently into the lake of fire. And at the end of the thousand year period, the Bible talks, tells us that there will be the last and final great white throne Judgment. Revelation 20 verses 11 to 15 describes this. John writes, he says, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away." And there was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which are written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was cast into The lake of fire. At the end of this great white throne judgment. God will prepare new heavens and the new earth. The old earth will be destroyed completely. And a new heaven and a new earth will be established. And that's as far as what the Bible takes us into. In the future of mankind. You read about the new heavens and the new earth. In the 21st and 22nd chapters of the book of Revelation. These are the prophecies the Bible contains. In a nutshell. In a brief moment. Of things that are yet to come. Before I close. I want to bring your attention. To some of the significant. Current world events. The present signs of the times. Things that are happening right before our eyes. Which all of which are just moving towards the fulfillment. Of the yet unfulfilled Bible prophecies. Concerning the end times. Here are some of the major signs. First, Bilderberg and the New World Order. Bilderberg is really a secret community of global leaders. Beginning in 1954, in May of 1954, several American and European politicians, government officials and others got together in a secret meeting to talk about how to affect the world. And since 1954, Bilderberg, The name comes from the hotel in which the first meeting took place. Bilderberg has continued to meet over the years. And uh, what is their agenda? What are they talking about? I want you to watch this short video from CNN. It's a dated video, a little over a year old or so. But here's what CNN had to say concerning the Bilderberg meme that was about to take place in that year. Can we have a look at that video, please?
1: You may not have heard of it, but some say Bilderberg is secretly trying to take over the world. We're trying to find out why some of the biggest names in business and politics are currently meeting very discreetly in Germany. Consider or cozy talking shop. The Bilderberg Group is meeting in South Germany this week, at least according to the Financial Times, which says a group of powerful men and women will debate the future of the world. The paper says the steering committee of Bilderberg includes Deutsche Bank boss Josef Ackermann, Nokia CEO Jorma Ollala, Daimler Kreiser's Jürgen Schrempf and outgoing World Bank president James Wolfensohn. I asked John Ronson, who has written about Bilderberg, what
2: it really is. Bilderberg is a a meeting of powerful centrist, industrialists and politicians, they always meet in secret once a year in a five-star hotel with golfing facilities and they've taken on the, the the image for conspiracy theorists of the, the the fabled shadowy cabal that secretly rules the world are they well yes and no i mean uh, I,
1: d- I mean they're a bunch of powerful people they meet in in secret they say we meet in private mm. uh, which isn't quite the same thing is it
2: it's not quite the same thing i do think that by and large m- many members of the bilderberg group actually see themselves in much the same way as the conspiracy theorists see them as this shadowy cabal out to um, if not to rule the well, okay, world but to influence world events what would
1: what would, you, what would they see as their purpose then i mean presumably it's a kind of it's a good get-together of powerful people they don't often get a chance to meet away from the glare of the press one could understand why they might want to have a private chat
2: yeah and that's certainly got something to do with it uh, they, they see themselves as wise globalist centrists they, they were set up post the second world war by people like dennis Healey. Um, those a David Rockefeller and various others. And there's there's a degree of
1: idealism there, isn't there? Oh, they yeah, didn't yeah, want yeah. to go to war again. I mean Oh they're, absolutely they're, they're Is like, that
2: a sinister conspiracy? Well, well I mean it, it depends what side of the political spectrum you you you, you sit on. And and uh, you know, many of the anti Bilderberg conspiracists uh, are are right wingers who see themselves as twigs in a tidal wave of globalization. They see themselves as nationalists and they think the idea of a of a of a world government, which is what Bilderberg is, is into by and large the idea of, of a one world community a new world order you know they see that as they see themselves thing. as a
1: government as opposed to a group of world leaders or people with influence at a global level who are talking about global issues do they
2: they see themselves as, as headhunters they'll they'll get an up-and-coming politician who they think may be president or prime minister I think harks back to specifically to henry kissinger who you know, in quite a silly way, I think, loves the idea of being this shadowy secret figure. And it was, and it was Kissinger, as a founder member of Bilderberg, of Bilderberg, who had this idea to be this kind of secret organisation, in, in quite a, you know, in quite a silly way, really. So, so, and I think some members, I mean, Lord Owen said to me at one point um, that, you know, he wished That's the
1: former British Foreign Secretary and leader of the Social Democratic Party.
2: Yeah, and he said he kind of wished Bilderberg, you know, didn't quite have this air of secrecy, because it gives rise to tremendous conspiracy theories. John Ronson
1: there, who's written about Bilderberg in a book called Them, Adventures with Extreme*. Well, up next on World Business Today, you may not have heard of it, but some say Bilderberg is secretly trying to take over the world. We're trying to find out why some of the biggest names in business. and The
0: 57th Bilderberg meeting was held recently in Greece, May of this year, with about 130 participants, two-thirds from Europe, remaining from North America a third from government and politics, and two-thirds from other industries, all getting together to see in what way they could introduce a new world order, looking for a new leader. For centuries, groups like this, the Illuminati, and more recently, the Bilderbergs, have planned or have been planning on how to bring about a one-world government. Earlier this year, in a CNBC Interview: Henry Kissinger, a member, a founding member of the Bilderberg Group, declared that US President Barack Obama has been elected at a unique moment in history that could allow him to create this new world order. So, what I want to present to you this morning is that great strides have been made both through the forming of the European Union and groups like the Bilderberg for the ushering in of a one-world government. Of a new world order. I want to impress on you. That you and I are living in these times. When a one world government. A new world order. Is being planned. And is a possibility. The second major sign. That's taking place right before our eyes. Is the 10 world confederacy. The Bilderbergs in 1954. Came up with the idea. To create a United States of Europe. I want you to understand how powerful the Bilderberg Group is. That not only do they sit down and discuss, but things happen when they discuss. Because when they talked about a United States of Europe, not too long after that, we had the formation of the European Union. The European Union was established. And it hit about 10 nations in 1981 when Greece joined the European Union. And they intended to keep it at 10, but then it continued to grow about 30 nations now and uh, Sarkozy, the president of France, intends to see it grow to over 100 nations. So while the European Union itself can, may not be that 10-nation confederacy, here's the interesting thing. There is another global think tank called the Club of Rome. Again, established about 40 years ago. It's a um, community of leading personalities from around the world. Again, looking at global issues, solving uh, economic, social, political Addressing these issues from a world perspective. And they propose things to the United Nations and so on. And here's what the the Club of Rome has proposed. That they divide the whole world into ten divisions. A ten division, global empire. Listed as such, America, Canada, and Mexico is one. South America, Australia, New Zealand, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, Japan, South Asia, Central Asia. North Africa and all the Middle East and the remainder of Africa. So we are seeing on the horizon a ten division, a ten world division, a confederacy being formed, being proposed. And it's very likely because this is global in nature, and which is one of the key elements of the prophecy of the world leader coming up, we are seeing us move more closer to the emergence of this one world government and the one world leader called the Antichrist. The third thing that we're seeing happen right before our eyes is movement towards a one world currency and a universal identification. Earlier this year, leaders from the G20, including people, uh, leaders from the European Union, Russia, China, Brazil, and several others, were, had a lot of talk about the new, uh, new world currency. Here's some news from the press. This is from March of this year. China calls for a new reserve currency. The Financial Times reports that China... China's central bank proposed replacing the U.S. dollar as the international reserve currency with the new global system controlled by the IMF. Russia also pitched in the Moscow Times reports that Kremlin published its priorities for a meeting of the G20 calling for the creation of a supranational reserve currency to be issued by the international institutions as part of a reform of the global financial system. The United Nations again brought this up saying... Uh, that they recommend the world to drop the U.S. dollar as its reserve currency in favor of a shared basket of currencies. All of this talk about having a global currency, something that everybody can participate in, is leading us more and more closer towards what Revelation 13 says. And interestingly, we're also seeing the possibility of a universal identification being established where every individual is marked and identified. Quite interesting that right here in our own nation of India, we're talking about having an identification for every citizen of our country. Part of that will be the biometric fingerprints. Something that belongs to your body, which will be used to identify you right here in our own nation. A fourth major event that you and I should keep before our eyes, on our radars, is our peace talks with Israel. Every time that we hear about peace talks with Israel, we need to understand regardless of who's involved, whether it's Clinton or Obama or other world leaders, that this is all preparatory for the emergence of that one world leader who will introduce his peace program and be successful in signing the seven-year peace treaty with Israel. All of this is moving closer towards the fulfillment of Daniel 9, verse 27. Number five, the current knowledge explosion. This is very significant because through the media and through knowledge explosion satellite television and instant information it now is possible for a single leader to influence every nation on this world with his policies and with his decisions it is now possible for one man to dictate terms globally because of increased uh, communication and the last thing i want us to keep keep before our eyes is the temple mounts in 1967 after the six-day war when Israel recaptured Jerusalem. A few days after the end of that war, the then Defense Minister Moshe Dayan had a meeting with five leaders of the Supreme Muslim Council. And for whatever reason, he handed back control of the Temple Mount to the Arabs. So today, the administrative control of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem is the sole responsibility of the Supreme Muslim Council council. Jewish people are not allowed there. They're not allowed to go in and say their prayers there. It is under Arab control. But the interesting thing is this, that in recent years, especially the last four years, significant preparations are being made towards the building of a third temple on the temple mount. There have been several attempts in the past to go in there, to intrude in the temple mount. All of them have been put down. But a lot of preparation is still underway. According to the Temple Institute, Rabbi Chaim Richman, he says that detailed blueprints for the third temple have existed for the past four years. These plans have been drawn from the Bible and other sources. And they include the use of electricity and other modern improvements which agree with their law. Also, since 1987, A group of rabbinical researchers, designers and craftsmen under the direction of Rabbi Israel Ariel have been creating in a Jewish quarter in Jerusalem, which is called a temple in waiting. They have not only created computerized blueprints for the third temple, but they've already produced qualified vessels, garments and other other items necessary to restore the services in the third temple. What I want to present to us is this, that the rebuilding of the third temple and the reinstitution of all of those sacrifices can be done very, very quickly as soon as the peace treaty is signed. It's not going to take so long. Six major signs that you and I need to keep our eyes on. Things that are happening on a daily basis. I want to close this talk here this morning by just challenging you and me with what the Bible has to say. We're down to 1159, the final countdown. You and I possibly, could possibly very well be that generation where we see the rapture take place. If you're a believer, you'll be in safe hands, safe custody. If you're not, or if you're not sure, I want to tell you this morning, it's going to be very dangerous to get left behind. It will not at all be very pleasant to be around during the tribulation. At that time, there will not be, there will hardly be anyone to help you with your faith in God. There'll be no churches to go to. No worship bands to play for you. No pastors to counsel you. No prayer people to pray with you. You'll be on your own. If you decide to believe in Jesus. In the tribulation. I want to encourage you. The time to make our decision. Is now. Before it's too late. For those of us who already believe in Jesus Christ. And have made a commitment sometime or another to believe in Jesus. I want to challenge you. The Bible says. In Philippians, that we are a people who must eagerly await the coming of the Lord. And John wrote in 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3 says, If we have this hope of Christ returning, he says, Anyone who has this hope purifies himself, even as he is pure. Challenging us, saying that if you and I really believe that Jesus Christ is coming back for us, there's no time to play. There's no time to mess around with sin. There's no time to live. A lazy Christian life. There is no time to be casual about our faith. You got to have your lamps burning, your lamps filled with oil, your garments pure and clean, your hands and your hearts clean. No time to play, lest you get left behind. Because he is coming not for a church that is messing with the world. He's coming for a church that is without spot or wrinkle. He's not coming for people who are sitting on a fence. Neither is he coming for people who attend church. But he's coming for a people. Who are eagerly awaiting, looking for His coming. And in so doing, are redeeming themselves, are preparing themselves by keeping themselves pure and holy and spotless from this world. Because they're waiting for their bridegroom. What kind of a believer are you today? Do you have oil in your lamp? Are your garments clean? Are your hands clean? Are your hearts pure? Are you one of those believers who attends church and says, I'll get by sitting on the fence? I want to tell you, the Bible says it's going to be a twinkling of an eye. You won't have time to say, Lord, one minute for a word of prayer. It'll be too late. There won't be any moment for you to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Before you can finish your sentence, it's all over. Today is the day. Now is the time to decide and to live in continual readiness for the coming of Jesus Christ. It is possible that there might be people here who have never made a decision to believe in Jesus Christ. And that's a dangerous place to be. The Lord Jesus died for us 2,000 years ago on a wooden cross. He paid for the sins of the whole world. He made it possible for you to be forgiven of your sins. And for you to come into a relationship with him. Where he accepts you. And he brings you as a son and a daughter into the family of God. And if you will make that decision. When that moment comes. When Christ comes back for the rapture. For the great snatch. You will be one of those. Who will ascend up into the sky. To meet your Lord and your Savior. But if Jesus is not your Lord. You will be left behind. I want to take a few moments to pray. Before we close, I call the worship team up. I request you to please stand as we get ready to close. I want this to be a moment of decision. At the beginning of this talk, we looked at several prophecies of the Bible which were so fulfilled to the day, to the year. And therefore, we can only conclude that all of the other prophecies concerning the end times will be fulfilled in the minutest detail. Nothing. Left incomplete. Christ coming back is definite. The question is, are you ready? I would just like to request all of us to take a moment to pray. Could you please close your eyes and bow your heads here this morning? For those of us who love is appearing, it will be a glorious day. Like we sang earlier, it will be a beautiful day. When we will find ourselves translated into heaven. Walking the streets of gold. Entering in a mansions prepared for us. Seeing the one we loved face to face. But there's a call going forth saying that if we have this hope, we must keep, we must keep ourselves pure even as He is pure. And I'm speaking to believers here this morning. Is there anyone here this morning? You're a believer. You love Jesus. But somehow your love has grown cold. You're straddling the fence. Your commitment is not red hot. You want to enjoy the world the pleasures of the world, the sins of the world, hoping that church attendance will keep you in good shape. Church, I want to tell you, the Bible says, he who has the hope keeps himself pure even as he is pure. Will you pray this morning and say, Lord, I don't want to be like this, lukewarm this morning. I want to be like that bride, ready for the coming of the bridegroom. I want to have my garments spotless. My hand's clean, my heart's pure, and my lamp burning. I want to live in a state of readiness, God. I want to be caught up with you, to meet you in the air. I want to do that, Jesus. If there's anyone here this morning, and you've never prayed a prayer, welcoming Jesus, embracing him as the king of your life, as the savior of of your life, the one who saves you from your sins. I want to invite you to do that this morning. The Bible says that whoever calls, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you please, if you have never done it before, would you please do that now before it's too late and you don't have a chance to do it. Would you please do it right now and say, Jesus, this moment I'm inviting you to be my God, to be my Lord and to be my savior i want to embrace you i want to follow you i want to love you the rest of my life here i am jesus i believe in you if you've never done that would you please pray this morning i want to take a moment right now before we close to pray for anyone here feel the lord speaking to your heart this morning and saying you know i didn't know the bible was like this i didn't know this was so serious but here i am this morning i'm willing to from this day forward Live a life that is totally committed to Jesus Christ. But this morning, I just need help to do that. I just want somebody to pray with me, to bring strength into my life, to live in such a way that I will honor Jesus every day of my life. Is anyone here and you need prayer towards this? I want to invite you to come forward and let's take this time just to pray and minister to people. So I just need prayer this morning. I would like somebody to just pray with me. And help me to live a committed life in the days ahead. If you'd like somebody to pray with you, I want to invite you to just come up. Our pastors will be here to meet with you and pray with you. Let's do that right now. As the worship team sings, we'll take this time to pray. I just want to invite the pastors here just to be ready to pray with those that come. If you're saying, I just need somebody to pray with me and help me in my commitment that I've made this morning. And asking God to give me strength to live a totally committed life in the days to come. Feel free to come forward for prayer, and we'll be here to pray with you. Let's just take some time to worship God. On that day
3: when I see all that you have for me, when I see you face to face, surrounded by your grace, all my fears wept away in the light of your embrace. Where your love is all I need And forever I am free There your streets are made of gold In your presence sealed and woe That the songs of heaven rise to you alone No Friend, you hold me now. You hold me now. No darkness, no sick or lame, no hiding. You hold me now. You hold me now. To this life, to this life, I will sing. Through my joy and my faith Knowing there's a greater day There's a hope that never fails Where your name is lifted high And forever praises rise For the glory of your name I believe it for the day All creation lives in peace. Let the songs of heaven rise to you alone. When you sing No sick, no, sick lame, no hiding you always
0: Father, we just thank you for your word and how powerful your word is, how powerful your scriptures are. We stand amazed at your words. We stand amazed at things you have done and you are doing. And we worship you this morning. We honor you. We bless you. Strengthen every heart and every life in this place this morning. Encourage everyone. And God, maybe lives, live lives that are worthy of the name be bare of Jesus Christ. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and lift up His countenance on you and give you His peace. In Jesus' name. Amen.
2: We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.